me much to give, nothing that you would recall. A widow without very much to give, only two mics that's all. But a story came down through the ages how she gave more than she could afford. She didn't have very much to give, but she gave it all to the Lord. Some give of their abundance, some sacrificially. Let us give with a heart of thanks for the goodness we receive. We cast our bread upon the water, watch our blessings come to shore. We may not have very much to give, but we give it all to the Lord. He didn't have very much to give, a boy with two fishes and bread. He didn't have very much to give, but through him so many were fed. Jesus took what was offered, and then he made a miracle as his reward. He didn't have very much to give, but he gave it all to the Lord. Some give of their abundance, some sacrificially. Let us give with a heart of thanks for the goodness we receive. We cast our bread upon the water, watch our blessings come to shore. We may not have very much to give, but we give it all to the Lord. We may not have very much to give, but we give it all to the Lord. We give it all to the Lord. Ready for me? Good morning, church. It is a wonderful joy to be with you. I've been looking forward to this moment. I regret that my wife and kids can't be with me this morning, but uh, thank you for accepting the B team, okay, and letting me come and be with you. Pastor, uh, I really enjoyed our time together yesterday, getting to know you and form a friendship together. Uh, thank you for this privilege to, for a few moments, be an extension of your ministry of the word here in the church. It's a very serious thing for me. And uh, great to see the Davidsons and to be able to uh, share with them again what an impact they had on my life as the Lord. I don't believe I'd be in Chile. I don't think I'd be married to Annie if it wasn't for their influence in my life. And so I praise the Lord for that. And it's great to see other friends as well from Orange County or from Springfield, friends that we've met along the way. And so thank you so much, church, for this opportunity. We're ready to get to the word. Okay, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> I'll apologize ahead of time for, I woke up a little thing in the throat, so if I'm coughing, I'll try and cover the microphone 
and not blow out your eardrums with the cough. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 2. So the first time I, uh, this was just about two weeks ago, I, I wrote this sermon and I actually preached Luke 10, 1 through 16. Yeah, you're, just be thankful I'm not preaching that one this morning. Uh, and then the next time, I preached it a second time, and it was Luke 10, 1 through 8. Uh, and I realized that was too long, and so you're, you're getting the third um, appearance of this message, and it's Luke 10, 1 through 2, and each time I've reduced it and rewritten it as we've concentrated it here. The title of the sermon is The Solution to the Laborer Problem. And certainly there is a problem. Scarcity of laborers. Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 2. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I have a very simple faith and oftentimes it's the simplest understanding of the scriptures that makes the biggest impact in my life. And here in verse 2, I see three important details that we're going to develop as the main points of this sermon. The harvest is abundant. The laborers are scarce, and Christ's command to pray. The harvest is abundant, the laborers are scarce, and Christ's commandment to pray. Why don't we pray together right now? Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each of us who are your children. I pray that the Spirit would take his sword, and he would work in our hearts, I pray for especially him behind the pulpit, how I need the working of the Holy Spirit in my life and your precious word. I pray for those in front of the pulpit that you would have your will and your way in each of our hearts and our lives. And I commit, Lord, to receive the word with faith and to obey what the word says. I pray that you would speak to us for the purpose of Jesus being glorified. It's our heart's desire that the head of this church would be magnified in his church. He'd receive glory in this church, in the lives of each individual, in marriages and families. May Jesus be honored and lifted up. Thank you for your instruction and your word. Please teach us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says in verse 2, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. In the explanation of the parable of the tares and the wheat, Jesus says the field is the world. And we think of the harvest, and when we think of the harvest, we think of how vast the world is. Sometimes we're ignorant, really, of how big the world is. And I will sit down and I'll study geography and I'll just look at the map. I think of what William Carey said, to know the will of God, you need an open Bible and an open map. Mm. 
I love to study geography. And, and uh, I remember the first time I was uh, speaking Spanish to a friend. His name is Dustin Reinhardt, also very influenced by the Davidsons. And he's a missionary in Chile now. He was born and raised there as a missionary's kid. We were speaking Spanish in Southern California. It was the first time I heard this. There were two Mexicans in front of us. They turned around and they said, where are you from? You know, see, a couple of white boys speaking Spanish is kind of weird. And they said, where are you from? And Dustin said, I was, I'm, I was born in Chile, he says. And the person said, what part of Mexico is that? <laughs> and that was very funny, really. Uh, even uh, this, this Mexican young man was ignorant of the geography of his own country. And we think about how vast the United States is. In 2019, I preached in 130 churches across the country. And I got to see more of the country than most people do in a lifetime. It is such a huge country, and yet it's not the whole continent. We live on a very large continent. And then South America, South America is so vast and and maybe you have this concept of how South America is. Maybe you think of jungles and the Amazon and Peru and Ecuador and the mountains. And, uh, but then you see our video and you think, boy, I never imagined it was like that. And really, we're just barely scratching the surface of what Patagonia is truly like. And Patagonia is just a small part of South America. And you think of Africa, Europe, uh, you think of Eurasia or Oceania. I'm not sure how to say that exactly. Uh, and you think of Asia and you think of, um, you think of all these different parts around the globe. The world is so big. You could tell me about Nixa and the need right here. We drove in yesterday and I think the sign said Nixa pop population. It might have said 11,000. It sounds like that expired. Yeah. How big is Nixa now? Boy, it's more than doubled, and it's going to keep growing. And you know the needs here in this area intimately. We could talk about the need in Nixa and Ozark and Springfield and the surrounding areas, and we could talk for hours. And we're just scratching the surface of, you say Southwest Missouri, is that right? Uh, we're just barely scratching the surface of the need here. Uh, I've, made, I, I've made myself an expert in Patagonia. I could talk to you about Patagonia for hours and hours. And it's just a corner of the harvest. I could tell you stories that would break your heart. And you would say, the harvest is great. <coughs> One of my heroes, Charles Komen. He's not very well known. More people know about his wife, Letty B. Komen, or Kalman. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but she wrote a devotional called Streams in the Desert. Her husband, Charles Komen, she wrote a biography of his life called Missionary Warrior. And that biography changed my life. He was a missionary more than 100 years ago in Japan. And he was burdened to get the gospel. He had noticed that missions work had been done uh, principally in the, the metropolitan areas, the heavily, densely populated areas. And he got a burden to get the gospel to rural Japan. He says, we're going to get the gospel to every creature on this island. And he came up with a campaign. He called it the Great Village Campaign. And he got together a team of foreign missionaries, I believe America and Canada, if I'm not mistaken, and also Japanese workers, Christian workers. And they devised this plan to get the gospel to every creature on the island. And the, the rules of this campaign where they had to go to every single home with a portion of scripture, they had to leave it in every single home. 
And every individual they saw, every face they saw, they had to attempt to preach the gospel to that person. And it took them years, but they did it. Well, Charles Coleman, in, in, in his journals, and then, of course, in the biography that his wife wrote, he tells a story uh, during the Great Village campaign as he's weaving in and out of the hills uh, among the rice paddies that he came upon two Japanese women who were working in the rice paddies. And he told them of Jesus, and he preached the gospel to them. And then as he continued his path, he says as he was walking along the winding road, he heard them yell to him. And so he didn't quite catch what they said. He turns around and says, what? And they were yelling. They said, what was that name again? What, what was that name again? They had never heard the name Jesus. And they didn't want to forget that name. I think of how big the world is. Just to get here yesterday, I left the house at 3.30 in the morning and left, flew out of Boise into Denver and then from Denver to Springfield and then drove from Springfield to Nixa. And really, it's a day of travel. It's a full day of travel just to, just to cross a small part of our small country in comparison to the globe. But if you wanted to get to, I'm going to tell you about a place called Puerto Sanchez. If you wanted to get there, you would have to get onto a flight today here, in, uh, here over, over here in Springfield, and you'd probably fly to one of the main hubs, uh, New York, Miami, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, Los Angeles, one of these hubs where uh, the airlines have their main hub in O'Hare, in Chicago maybe, and from there, if you were to fly from Los Angeles to Santiago de Chile, the capital of our country, um, you would be flying most likely anywhere from 10 to 12 hours. And that's if you didn't stop in Mexico City or Panama, Lima, Brazil, or one of these countries. So if you went straight to Chile, so you'd have to fly from here just to get to L.A., you're probably looking at mostly a full day of travel. And then from L.A. to Chile, you're looking at a 10 to 12-hour flight. Once you get there, you've got to go through customs and immigration, which takes a few hours. Then you have to exit the international terminal, get your bags and everything, and you have to walk about half a mile to the national or the domestic terminal. And then you have to go through security, recheck your bags, do the whole thing again like you've just gotten to the airport. And then you've got another flight to get from the capital of Chile, which isn't about the center part of the country, down to where we are in Patagonia, and that's a two-and-a-half-hour flight. So you fly down to uh, southern Chile. You land in a city called Balmaceda. That's where our airport is. Uh, from, in Balmaceda, you're going to get a transfer, is what they call them, a transfer. It's actually just a, a they turn the word into Spanish. You get onto a, a transfer, and then you're going to take, it's about one hour to get to the capital of the 11th region of Chile, where we live, which is called Coyhaique. So now, at that point, you've been traveling about 24 hours, and you're exhausted, and the kids are going crazy. Well, <clears throat> at least mine are. And so you're traveling 24 hours but I told you I was going to tell you about Puerto Sanchez. If you look at Coyhaique on the map, uh, like we were just a, a moments ago, you'll see that it is so isolated from the rest of the world, even from the rest of Chile. To get to Coyhaique, you have to either take a boat. We took a 24-hour barge to get from southern Chile to further southern Chile to be able to get to Patagonia when we first arrived. Or you can fly, or you can drive through Argentina. 
but you can't get to where we live by land. It's so isolated. And from somebody from the big city, it really is the middle of nowhere. I'm from the L.A. area. And our city uh, is about 60,000 people, which for Patagonia is basically a booming metropolitan. Patagonia is less densely populated than the Sahara Desert. And so the people are very spread out throughout the country. So our city is a very large city for Patagonia. But even then, on the map, it's so isolated. The nearest largest city, it take, the nearest large city takes us eight hours to drive there. We drive eight hours to, it's called Comodoro Rivadavia, and it's in Argentina. And so you get to Coyhaique, and you're already isolated from the rest of the world. But now you get into your car, and you drive an hour and a half south on a paved road. You'll pass a few communities along the way of three, four hundred, five hundred people. And then that's when the dirt road starts. And you'll drive another hour and a half on the dirt road, and you'll get to a very small community called Bayamurta. Each of these communities I could tell you about El Blanco, Cerro Castillo, Puerto Ingeniero Ibañez. They're about five hundred people, and they do not have one church that believes in salvation by grace through faith. I'm not even talking about a church with the name on the sign that you like. I'm talking about a church that believes that salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus alone. Not one. So you get to Bahia Murta, and then from there, I mean, you were in the middle of nowhere when you started the trip. But you've been driving three hours, and you got lost in Patagonia, and you're in Bahia Murta. Now, if you drive one hour inland along the coasts of one of the larger lakes in the world, it's called Lago General Carrera, you're going to come across a community of 50 people. It's called Puerto Sanchez. And I went to Puerto Sanchez 10 years ago, and I knocked on every door, and I preached the gospel to each person I could find. We left gospel tracts and the gospel of John in each home. And I preached the gospel to two men that were working in Puerto Sanchez. As I was walking away from these two men, they yelled something to me. And I didn't quite catch what they said, so I turned around and I yelled, what? And they said, don't forget Puerto Sanchez. Come back to Puerto Sanchez. And I think of places like that around the world. There's so many places in every corner of the planet where there is nobody preaching the gospel. Puerto Sanchez doesn't have any churches, period. They don't even have cults. They don't even have the popular false religion in Chile. They don't have anything in Puerto Sanchez. And we could talk about the harvest for hours, and we would only scratch the surface to help our hearts to understand that the harvest truly is great. It is abundant. And that leads us to the second main detail here in this verse. Jesus says, but the laborers are few. The laborers are scarce. You want to know the tendency of a missionary? We arrived to the country of Chile, and I thought, you know what we need to do? We need to get in touch with a more experienced missionary 
And we need to get him to give us somebody to go with us so we don't have to start alone. You know, like an assistant pastor who could come along my side and, and help me. And uh, most missionaries, that's the tendency. And some missionaries will even go and they'll just steal people. They'll just show up to a ministry and then they'll start inviting people without the patent. That's not very ethical. But I called a missionary and I asked if he would send a young man with me. In fact, it was a young man that I had discipled in his church a couple of years earlier. His name was Yerko. I mentioned him in Sunday school. Well, that didn't work out. He didn't end up going with us. But I read a book called How to Start a Church on the Mission Field, written by a missionary who started many churches in the Philippines. His name is Rick Martin. And he said, don't do that. He said, train your own laborers. He said, train the people that God gives you, mentor them and train them and put them to work. And I considered that a lot as I read Proverbs 13, 11 that says, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. I think of all the get rich quick schemes that are out there. Wealth gotten by vanity, vanity, of course, meaning something that's empty. It's void of labor and work and sweat and tears and blood. It says, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. And that's what Rick Martin said to do in his book. He said, uh, train people, train leaders, train the people that God gives you. Well, we get to the mission field, and maybe you've sensed this in your heart as well. Maybe you have a ministry or you've had a ministry at some point in your life uh, in a nursery or in a Sunday school class or a Bible club, and, <coughs> and you felt like there weren't enough workers in your ministry, and you thought, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll get a brother and I'll twist his arm and have him help me. Or I'll, I'll get somebody and I'll just start begging them each week until they give in and they'll help me. Uh, and we think about the need for laborers on a small sense, in my small world, or in God's big world. And what do we do? We think, okay, we need to have conferences. There is a great need for laborers. The harvest truly is great. Let's have a conference. We'll call it the, the, the laborer problem conference. And this will be the solution. God will call laborers. Or we, we, we write books. And we come up with schemes or even manipulation. We'll, we'll put pictures with the right kind of music to where it just really tugs at their hearts. And then we'll say, will you go? And we come up with all these things. Because there is a problem. It says in Ezekiel 22.30, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Those are terrible words. But I found none. It makes me think of the old song, maybe you've heard it before. It says, uh, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work? For me today, it seems my children all want to stay around my table. No one wants to work 
in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. Is it really a problem, the scarcity of labors? Is it really so serious? It is a very serious problem. Look in Romans 10, please. Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> I'd like to read this passage of Scripture. Romans 10, 9. Tells us that if thou <clears throat> shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. These are wonderful scriptures about salvation. And if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you would believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and resurrected, if you would have faith in the blood that he shed for your sins, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Our justification, Jesus was raised for our justification, Romans says. And if we have faith in the heart, we will be justified. We will be made the just shall live by faith. We have faith and we receive justification. We become righteous in the eyes of God. Because Jesus, who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. By no merit or work of our own, because we could never earn or deserve salvation, but we just, by faith, we believe in our heart, and that's how we receive the righteousness of God. And then it says, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I believe everyone in the room and maybe everybody listening online would say, I agree heartily. Amen. <clears throat> it says in verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And so verse 9 speaks of confessing with the mouth. Verse 10 speaks of a, a mouth confession for salvation and and i understand that um, a person who isn't able to use their mouth can be saved as well right we're not we're not talking necessarily about we're talking though about an expression you express yourself to god and in repentance and faith in christ you are born again and everybody who calls on the lord in this way god is rich unto them and it says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved <coughs> I can't cover my mouth and the mic at the same time. I'm not trying to get y'all <coughs> infected. But uh, he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then these convicting questions begin. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You believe in the heart and the righteousness, the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. How can you call on him if you don't believe? You can't. Well, then how can you believe in him of whom they have not heard? Can you believe in someone you've never heard of? What was that name again? What was that name 
again? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Is it truly a problem that the harvest is great and the laborers are few? Yes. It is a very serious problem. A very serious problem. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The first two points of the message show us the depth and the scope of the problem. There is a great harvest. Jesus said it is truly great. And there is a great dearth of laborers. The next point is the solution that Jesus gives us. <clears throat> Let's go back to our text in Luke 10. We'll reread verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. No, the solution that Jesus gave was not conferences, was not books, was not manipulation. He said, pray. Pray. To whom? He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Mm -hmm. What? That he would send forth laborers into his harvest. To whom and what are in the text? But I'd like to answer the question, why? That's not in the text. But why do we pray to the Lord of the harvest? And why do we ask him to send forth laborers into the harvest? My question is, is Jesus... Ignorant? Is he hard-hearted? Has Jesus become apathetic to the harvest and the scarcity of labors? Is he forgetful? Is he unwilling to save the heathen? <coughs> no. We are the ones who are ignorant. We are ignorant. Yeah, right. We don't know where Equatorial Guinea is. We don't know that it's the only country in Africa where they speak Spanish. We don't know where Somalia is. We just know that there were pirates there someday. We, read, we saw it on Fox News one time. We're the ones that we don't know where Yemen is. <clears throat> we still think countries that aren't even countries anymore are still countries. We don't know where Laos is and Mongolia and Cambodia and Thailand and Japan, Malaysia. We don't know where these countries are. We don't know what languages they speak. <clears throat> we are the ones who are ignorant. And this is why Jesus tells us the harvest truly is plenteous. No, Jesus is not hard-hearted. It's our apathy that needs a remedy. Amen. We are the ones who get so busy in our little world that we forget about God's big world. 
We get so caught up in our routine that frankly, we just don't care. Maybe we have a missions conference and for one week, we eat, sleep, and drink missions. All the hymns are missions, the specials are missions, the texts are missions, giving missions, everything is missions. The day after missions conference, we forget all about it. Until next year. We're the ones who tend to forget. Because I ask myself, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Why? Did he forget? Do I need to kneel down and say, Lord, I'm here again. And I know you tend to forget things, so I wanted you to know the harvest is great. And we still need laborers. No. I forget. No, God is not unwilling. It's not necessary for us to beg him to save the lost. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And no, we don't believe in those that want to reinterpret that verse to tell us that all doesn't mean all. He wants all to get saved. We are the ones who are unwilling. That's the problem. Prayer. Jesus presents us here with prayer as the solution to the laborer problem. But prayer in and of itself is not the solution. Jesus told his disciples to pray because he knows that praying disciples are the answer to the laborer problem. You cannot ask God, you cannot pray and ask God to send laborers into the harvest if you are not willing. You just can't. When we pray for laborers for the harvest, God's heart is not changed. Ours is. When I was recently saved, I moved to Guatemala for three months. I ended up being in Guatemala for a total of six months. But I moved there, and I had just been saved. I didn't know anything hardly about the scriptures. I was reading through the Bible for my first time, and I was unfamiliar with this verse, or the verse that's much like it in Matthew chapter 9, the last verses in the chapter. (coughs) But I was in... Guatemala, and I had an experience that really moved my heart. So I went back to my bedroom where I was staying. Uh, It was a small cinder block bedroom. I woke up on many occasions with scorpions or tarantulas on the wall. One time I woke up and there was a scorpion right next to my face. I'll just tell you this. I moved the bed to the center of the room from then on. Uh, that was a scary bedroom, but I, uh, I go back to my cinder block bedroom and I knelt down and began to pray and I had my guitar with me and I went between three things, praying to singing praises to the Lord, to reading the scriptures, one from one to the other for several hours. And it was at that point that I said to God, I said, God, these people need someone here like pastor. Would you send somebody like Pastor? I was speaking of David Rader, a great man 
who's with the Lord now. And I said, they, they need somebody like pastor here. Would you send somebody like pastor? And I've never heard an audible voice from God, but had I heard an audible voice from God that reached down and said, Kyle, I'd like to send you. I would have said no. I was like most Christians who would say, here am I, send Steve. Is there a Steve here? I'm sorry, Steve. <clears throat> Had the Lord tried to send me, I would have said, well, you got the wrong guy. I'm not the man for the job. And I was convicted with the realization that if every Christian everywhere in the world was like me, God could not answer my prayer. I didn't even know this verse. I didn't know I was praying to the Lord of the harvest and asking him to send forth labors into his harvest. I didn't know that. But I was praying. And if every single Christian everywhere in the world was like me, God couldn't answer my prayer. What a hypocrite. How hypocritical it would be in a church for a lady to say, God, we need more workers for the, for the, for the nursery. And then the person in charge of the nursery ministry comes and says, would you help us one week? Can I put you on the schedule? No, 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 not me. Well, what a hypocrite. How could you ask God to send laborers into the harvest if you're not willing to labor in the harvest? Right. And my friends, that is the solution to the laborer problem. No, when we pray, we're not reminding God. We're not changing his heart. He's not ignorant. He's not apathetic. He's not unwilling. The problem is us. Right. And so I prayed. And I asked God to send laborers to Guatemala without knowing that phraseology, that, that verbiage. I didn't know that. And it was at that point in my life where I said, Lord, I would go if you want me to do it. I didn't know the verse that says, here am I, send me. But I said that. I said, Lord, I'm available. Whatever you want me to do, I'll serve you here or anywhere. And that's the solution to the laborer problem. He now had a laborer. You know what he did right after, right after he told his disciples to pray? The following verse, the first word is go. And they did, two by two, and they went. <clears throat> And so I came back to the U.S., and then I went to Pacific Baptist College. I met Brother Davidson there, and many others. I met my wife. <clears throat> Boy, the Lord is good. I told that story in Bible college, how I met my wife, but if you missed out on it, I don't have time to repeat it. I'm sorry, but it is a fun story. Prayer is the means that Jesus chose to get us to the place where we would echo the words of the prophet Isaiah and we would say, here am I, send me. We need godly men and godly women whose hearts are fully consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ who would say, Lord, here am I, send me. I'm available a great servant of the Lord went to be with Jesus this week, Jack Baskin. And he told a story of preaching down in Texas where a young boy had said, I'm available. And the following year, the young boy 
uh, went forward in the invitation again, and he said, well, what, why did you come forward this year in the missions conference? And the young boy said, Lord, I just wanted the Lord to know that I'm still available. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that's what the Lord wants, and that's what prayer to the Lord of the harvest will do in your heart. You'll say, Lord, I'm available. I'm, as, as one of my mentors says, I'm garbage at your disposal. <laughs> Anything you want me to do, I'm available. And that's what God needs. I, while I was in Bible college, I got a map of the world and I set it above my dorm bed. And each day I would go to college at 7 and we had a prayer meeting at seven, that I ran. At 7.30 I'd start classes. At 12.30 I'd get out. I'd have a quick lunch. I'd run over to the dorms and I would kneel down at my bed under the map and I would choose an area of the world and I would pray and I'd ask God to send laborers to that place. I learned a lot of geography in that time, in those years. And there was a time where my heart, every single day, focused on southern Chile. I began to pray and pray. Sometimes I would weep. I took days to fast, and I would pray for southern Chile and ask God to send laborers. It's interesting, when I was in Guatemala, I prayed this prayer. And that's when God started my trajectory to becoming a missionary, when I started this prayer. I had no intentions to be a missionary. Then, when I was in Bible college, I began to pray for southern Chile. At that point, I I didn't know where God would send me. I thought maybe Guatemala, because that's where I had surrendered. But I didn't know. Well, when I began to pray for southern Chile and ask God to send laborers, well, look where that got me. It's interesting how that works, huh? Maybe you've been in a situation where you were unpleased or you've observed something and you've thought, boy, we need someone to do that. Pray about it. Ask God to to provide somebody to do it. Well, Lord, we need someone to sweep the the floors. Well, pray about it and next Saturday you'll be sweeping the floors. You'll see. There's not quite enough people. I noticed that there's a kind of a small group going out soul winning. I wish that group was bigger. Why don't you pray about it? And you'll find out one more gets added. Right. Yeah. We, need, we need something here. We need something there. Uh, there's this kind con- Pray about it, and you'll see how that molds and affects your heart. My challenge to you this morning is that you would obey Jesus' command to pray. There's not much to take away from the message. It's just something very simple. There's a great need in the world, in the harvest, in missions. There are few laborers. And I'd like to ask you to pray about that. And ask God to send laborers into the harvest. Get a map. Find a country. Educate yourself. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They're white and ready to harvest. Educate yourself. Find out what language they speak, what the main religions are, if there's any missionaries there, and just start to pray and ask God to send laborers. There's a country right at the top of Greece. I, I don't know if it's called Macedonia or North Macedonia. I don't remember. But uh, there's, there's not one Baptist missionary in that country. Why don't you look at that country and start praying and ask God to send laborers? I'd like to challenge you to do that. This is the solution to the laborer problem. You praying, me praying, us praying. And if you're not sure what part of the harvest to start with, back on the table is one of our cards. 
take a prayer card and pray and ask God to send laborers to Patagonia. In this moment, we're going to bow our heads to pray. And then when I'm done praying, I'll ask if Pastor would come forward to the pulpit. Heavenly Father, you're so good and so patient with me, with each of us. I'm sorry for my apathy and my ignorance and my hard heart. And I do pray to you. I recognize you as Lord. I confess you as my Lord. You're the Lord of the harvest. And I beg you, Lord, to send forth laborers into Nixa. I beg you to send forth laborers into Ozark, Branson, Springfield, this whole state, this great country. I beg that you would send laborers to Patagonia, Macedonia. That you'd send laborers, Lord, into your harvest. Thank you for the scriptures, how you've spoken to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand